So, Desiree, uh, today's a big day. We're in the studio together. What have we got today? Uh, yeah, Makita, it's so great to see you. Would you happen to be able to run around to the kitchen and make me a cup of tea, milk, no sugar? I'm going to stop you there. I think, I think you might have been confused about the day. You can make your own tea, and I think you know that. Uh, I do. I was just trying to see if I could pull a fast one. Yeah, totally. I totally get it. Wrong studio. Okay, okay. wrong day. Wrong Makita. Wrong Fair Makita. Enough. Cool, 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 cool. Thank you. <laughs> Desiree, what are we doing today? How come we are so close today? Okay. Well, what we're doing today is that we are going to be talking about everyday revolts. So... Imagine that you're stuck on a plantation, enslaved, or you're serving your so-called master inside of their huge palatial lavish home. Are you going to do exactly as you're told every single time? I think I would, only because of of everything we've learned. It's not about sort of being seen to play up. Yes. Because even the smallest thing, you're getting brutalized for that. It's no small punishment for no small thing. So I probably would, but I imagine there are people that just didn't. Well, I think about what you're saying because I am scared of literally anyone going boo. So, yes, I feel like I would be the one to be like, shut up, keep your head down, do what they say. But I also think about if I had seen my parents go through that and be disrespected, if I'd seen my siblings, if I'd seen every sort of person I'd ever respected being torn down. And if it had happened to me at a certain point, I might just break and decide to do things a little differently just so that I could walk with my head held high for one day. And thank God for that. Thank God for those feelings just one day in all these people. So this is what we're going to hear about today. So yes, we are going to get into it today. All of these little acts of resistance that made life bearable. This is Escape, the Underground Railroad podcast. I'm Desiree Birch. And I'm Makita Oliver. Escape is a collection of stories about the rebellions, escapes, and uprisings of our enslaved ancestors served alongside the powerful and evocative Amazon Prime Video limited series, The Underground Railroad. We're exploring the strengths, struggles, and strategies of our ingenious, inventive ancestors, the real-life formidable heroes through history who never back down in the face of brutality. So our producers have been secretly gathering these stories from our amazing historians, and we have absolutely no idea what we're about to hear. We actually don't. Yeah, so I don't know what you might be expecting with the words everyday revolts, Makita. Anything pop to mind? I think uh, what I'm hoping to hear is, because we've, we've heard a lot of the stories about the bigger stories and the, you know... 20 women overtaking a ship and, you know, 28 people escaping uh, through an entire town. I'm hoping to hear the smaller everyday revolts that helped just being enslaved every day to get through those days because sometimes you just need to get through the actual afternoon in this kind of life. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, just the next hour. Right. Yeah. What about you, Desiree? I guess my imagination runs the gamut of extremes between, you know, just spitting into dinner, you know, because you know you're not going to eat it, right? So why not? You know, like every waiter has that right. So why not the enslaved, at least if you're in the house, right? Or, you know, everyone getting together to be like, we don't know. The wagon just broke down. (laughs) Nobody knows how, you know, it's like you kind of can't, you know, like burn like 50 slaves. You know what I mean? Right? Interesting. Yeah. How did they fuck with them? Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Just a little bit every day. So with this line of thinking, I think even if you need to push back a little bit and you're not starting a massive uprising, you just doing small stuff to keep you sane. Are you ready to hear these stories, Desiree? I am so excited to hear. Please. Me too. Let's go. Okay. Historians and scholars had put in this classification as 
what's called individual acts of resistance meaning an individual is the perpetrator of these activities you don't have to have a group you can boil down these kind of everyday types of activities to resist to like eight areas purchasing one's freedom going on a individual group strike sabotaging what you're doing that day committing suicide which is more extreme or self-mutilation which is more extreme enlisting in a military when it comes into your region or writing about freedom in an abolitionist or anti-slavery newspaper that galvanize people in your community like you can do all this stuff as an individual and it may be connected to something bigger but not necessarily because you can also just run away and have nothing to do with the underground railroad And that's everyday resistance. You decide that day you're out. You've had enough and you're gone. I recognize that voice. That's Dr. Eric Jackson from our first episode on the Cincinnati 28. Yeah, which was a story I loved, the story about the 28 people of different ages that escaped a plantation by pretending to be a funeral procession and even going dressed up and building their own coffins. That was when I first started to get a sense of the ingenuity that was yeah. involved in these in these escapes. Yeah. But of course, that was a much bigger... Yeah, I mean, that's one whole church that is, you know, being led by an individual that's like, okay... Now is our time, but what does it mean to be the one person that destroys whatever the work is? You think about people who have rioted in America, because if your body is seen as property and property is the only thing that they care about and the property does not belong to you, what is stopping you from destroying that property? Because that is the only speech that you're ever going to have. It just so happens that in this case, their property is your body, but it doesn't seem that far afield of people who have immolated themselves in the name of a cause that they were trying to speak up for. If you decide to do this to yourself, you are making a statement. Yeah, absolutely. And and when you watch the show um, and with the stories that we've heard, it's just the constant sort of the oppression is so heavy on you constantly that if you find any way to feel like that you've got a bit of yourself back and and it's just so it's so intense to think that the only way to get yourself back is to almost lose your life yeah i think we're hearing stories about different ways people got a bit of their bloody power back i mean it's a whole new level though to be like i'm going to publish you know works against this or i'm going to go on my one person revolt i'm going to set a building on fire i'm going to run away like Fear of death is very real. To do that as a solo individual (laughs) is some new bravery stuff that I can't even fathom. And we now have another story from Dr. Eric Jackson. You can have one person doing such things as uh, sabotaging their task for today, meaning your task today as an enslaved African-American is to work in the kitchen and make the food for the day. And so magically all the pots and pans that are in the kitchen are broken. They just magically, every single one, you can't find one that doesn't have a hole in it. And you know that the enslaved African-Americans have decided to put holes in all these things. But nobody wants to fix any of this stuff. So for that particular day, folks do not eat what they normally eat. They cannot prepare what they need to normally prepare because the pots and pans in, in the kitchen have been tamper with or put a hole in or destroy and so that's an individual act of resistance because in that small space the only avenue you have to empower yourself is to take control of you're fixing the meal but you're going to make sure it's going to be fixed on your terms or not at all 
<laughs> that is a whole new level. How the hell do you break a pan? Right, a hole in like an a iron hole. pan. Yeah, like if it survives fire, like you'd need a drill. I don't even know how to drill. How the hell are you going to do that? I like that, though. That's kind of what we were talking about earlier. It's it's less the, the stuff we were just talking about. It's more about the everyday fuckery with them, which I quite like. It's yeah. like, yeah, fuck with them back. You know? Yeah, I mean, they already think of you as the sort of like lazy trickster, the mm. sort of Br'er Rabbit figure of like, oh, you're just trying to not get out of work. Mm. So it's like, well, coming right up. Right. <laughs> also, I think there's something to be said of like, I don't know how to say it. The reason that we don't just take it is because we're not mules. It's because we're human and we're sick of your shit. Yeah. Does that make sense? It's like, yeah. it is, even after this kind of brutalization, you are still a human being that you, we have pride in who we are and we don't, and you get sick of the circumstances, not sick, but just, that's far too light a word, but the circumstances will lead you to have a revolt in any way that is for you in a way a horse may not you know because yeah. they don't have the minds that we have yeah the sort of humanity anytime yes. your your humanity is denied the humanity is going to come back fighting and Absolutely. that humanity is going to do that by being like well only a human being could sabotage the hell out of this thing yeah. so like it's it almost seems like the kind of thing that would happen even if you didn't want it to at some point your hands are just doing the thing because yeah. your whole being is just like no like yeah. I exist yeah no I exist exactly this is the stuff I wanted to hear. What have we got next? Oh, we've got one more from Dr. Eric Jackson. One of the most powerful individual acts of resistance was arson. One person could burn a field in two hours. And you would spend those two hours putting out the fire. You would get no work done. But one person could destroy so much land and so much product. It's so easy to start a fire. It's so easy to start a fire. That is some real stuff right there. Just light a match. There goes all of your work and your money. What, so is Eric saying that the fire would then be the thing that a slave would be putting out for the day and that would be their day's work? And plus on top of that, they would have ruined some of the slave owner's property? Is it like yeah. a double whammy Yeah, day? I mean, it, it sounds like it. I mean, one, at least you're not doing the same stupid stuff today. Right? Rather put out a fire yeah. than be on the farm. I mean, the you're farm. not tearing your hands yeah. up picking cotton with all the burrs in it. Today, you're just trying to put out a fire that mm. started in the heat of the Georgia sun. You know, whatever it is, right? I mean, half the time they're picking, you know, cotton or tobacco anyway. How flammable is that? <laughs> it's quite a flammable situation at all times, isn't it? So I, I'd be like, another fire. What yeah, can right. I say? And everyone's like, I don't know. That must have been God. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Sometimes it bloody probably was. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Sometimes mm-hmm. God may have stepped in into this yeah. horrendous situation. Yeah. This is great. What else have we got? Anytime you study enslaved people, a lot of your sources are very top down. They're sources from people who are creating them, who are no friends of the people whose stories you're trying to recover. And in this case, I read at the Schomburg and the New York Public Library, diary after diary after diary of like whiny ass Karens, you know, writing their, maybe their husbands who were at war or or writing to their sisters or whatever and complaining about how their enslaved people were just acting up and just being gobsmacked by it. You know, just like, I thought they liked me, you know? First of all, it's important to know that at the start of the Civil War, there were four million enslaved people in 
uh, the American South. And 500,000 of them, they walked off of farms and plantations. They just dipped. They were like, we're done with this. And historians sometimes refer to that as the general strike. You know, I like to call it like the biggest slave revolt in U.S. history. But that had a huge impact, you know, on the entire situation and what what was happening there. They left for lots of places to try to find family, to join the Union Army. Sometimes slave owners would try to move their enslaved people further west or away from where invading Union Army troops were. And in that process, enslaved people just dropped out. They're like, no, we're not going over there. That's one thing that I think is important. (laughs) Half a million people just dipped. I mean... (laughs) I mean, but isn't actually just the, just the the change in structure of something? Yeah, and suddenly mindset changes as well. Yeah, and there's way out brief window of like, oh, wait, you know, I mean, in some cases they're recruiting, you know, enslaved people to come and fight for the union side. Mm. And you're like, yeah, maybe, no, or I could just peace out. <laughs> and I love all of the the women who are like, I thought they were my friend. Like, like this is every white woman who's mm. like got one black friend whose last name <laughs> she can't even remember. And it's only her coworker. It's like, well, I thought you liked me. And you're like, bitch, nobody likes you, you know, yeah. especially not me. Yeah, especially Especially not me. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Lovely Rebecca Hall telling us that story there. So she's talking about the stories that took place in the state in the South during the Civil War. So there are no men around. Plantation owners and overseers are away fighting in the war and only the enslaved and white women are around. And it is just suddenly there's a change in the general structure of the way everything's been set up and things are going to start changing when that when that yeah. happens. Yeah, and all of that sort of brutality that's generally meted out for the underlings, for those who serve us, is now turned against, you know, brother against brother kind of thing. Like, all that brutality goes to the battlefield, to Gettysburg. Mm. And yeah, sure, some of the women could hold their own. But if you've made a point about elevating femininity as this white female, delicate, untouched, in a corset. like you know, Exactly. Like, yeah, no, she's probably not going to whip the slaves and set them on fire, which means they're going to be like, so we're all going to dip and you're going to do nothing. Right. Because you're in that dress and you can barely stand. So, bye. (laughs) So we're out. (laughs) This is great. All right. So um, what is up next? We now have another clip from Dr. Rebecca Hall. The one I found where... Oh my God, they they have built a gallows in front of my house. And when we ask them to do any work, they just point to the gallows and then point at me. So I can't ask them to do any work. I'm absolutely terrified. This is what the letters said from the from the wives. Oh, is that what those letters are talking about? That she's, that the woman's like, um, dearest <laughs> darling, they keep pointing at a noose and then my face. Please hurry back from the war. But can you imagine what that must have felt like for all these white women, though, to yeah. suddenly realize, like what we said when we first started doing this show, is that the logic comes in, which is there are 200 really strong black people on this field. Yeah, and there really are three strong. Of you've you. bred them to be strong. You've killed the weak ones and they've died in transit. Right. These are the strongest. Yeah. The These best of the best. Strongest, smartest ones, and they're ready to go. Yes. And, uh, and they, they hate must, you. They must be scared. <laughs> she must be scared. Yeah, because uh, there's only one of her, mm-hmm. you know? And they're in the house. Right. You know, at least the women and the other house slaves are in the house. They're the ones who are preparing your food, who could poison you at any moment, mm. you know? And nothing would happen because the man's away. By the time the letter gets to him, they're all gone. Mm. 
Whoo! <laughs> this is getting hot. <laughs> okay. Here's another one from Rebecca Hall. There's another one that this historian Tara Hunter found, but where the doorbell rings and slaver Karen says to the slave, why aren't you answering the door? She says, literally, answering bells is played out. Answering bells is played out. And, you know, I thought played out was like a 21st century slang, but apparently not. Answering bells are played out. Sassy answer. <laughs> Wait, what? So this was a woman who normally worked in the house. And when when uh, Mistress Karen was like, why aren't you answering? It's like, that's played out. That's played out. Please. That's some old shit. Why are you bringing a bow? <laughs> <laughs> that's some old shit. We don't do that no more. I'm just saying. These wow. are my ancestors, all right? These people, I'm telling you, there's no way that they did not have a sense of humor. Are you kidding me? How else would they have made it? But this is great, isn't it? This is like the moment where they could probably sort of maybe even laugh a bit like because yeah. they felt that once that terror is gone if we get back into just the magic of these people and living how they want to live and they're like I'm not answering a fucking door yeah and like sure the hammer may fall but when is it not falling on them all the time if there's a window in which you know the mice can play then like let's have a ball let's go I bet yeah. they were playing some music as well these days <laughs> but, the party started but nothing played out because you know that out. that ding dong doorbell shit is played out <laughs> That is quite a line. That is quite a line. uh, From like, what, at least 150 years ago. Thank you, because we took that from her, I think. She she knew how much that's carried through. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right, I can't wait for this next one from Dr. Rebecca Hall. And this is some other historians have found some of these stories that that are my favorite. Like... This enslaver Karen writing her, her letter, <laughs> writing, you know, my slave Peggy took my bed and my wardrobe and brought it into her cabin. And she took my ribbons and put them in her little pickaninny's hair. And she's right now laying on my bed in her cabin dreaming her sweet dreams of freedom oh my god they're taking over and they don't even give a fuck this is amazing oh that's so good well it's like they have all the labor on their side so suddenly you know her and her family you know whatever the other guys just come in move all the stuff and it's kind of like um this is such a random reference but it's like in what is it pink flamingos that john waters film there's at one it's one of my favorite scenes where it's like divine and these other people they break into the other people's house because they're trying to be the nastiest and they bring into other people's house and they lick all of their stuff all of their belongings the furniture everything it's like once peggy's laid on that bed the mat mistress is not going to touch it right Right. so just like i just went in and licked everything that i wanted and now it's mine and it's so funny because in the next scene they come back home and all their furniture just rejects them it just throws them (laughs) off it's like no we've been sullied we've been licked we've been licked so anyway yes it's like basically walking through that house and licking everything you want yeah peggy licked it up (laughs) (laughs) good i love peggy (laughs) are there any more Samuel Cartwright is a doctor, I guess you call him a doctor, on slave plantations, basically a slave doctor, but he's actually really like a famous doctor as well, so it's not like a niche thing, he's a famous doctor, he's in these big journals, he gives massive speeches and it, and this is like early 19th century, he dies in 1860 I think, and he writes his paper around the middle of the 19th century, where he does the diseases of black people, basically what, what, what diseases has he seen on the plantation? Two of the report, because they do show you how people resisted, 
So one of them he called, it's called dysthesia ethiopica, otherwise known as rascality. And what that was, was he basically said that when we were refusing to work or didn't want to get up or were slow or breaking tools, all of this stuff, he said that was a mental illness for black people, right? Like he'd seen it enough that this is a mental illness of black people. It basically, his theory is that the difference between white people and black people is that uh, we don't take enough air into our lungs. And so our blood doesn't get enough oxygen. And so in that natural state, we're very lazy. And that's why we don't have any progress and no civilization. And so slavery is a good thing for us because it forces us to work faster. It forces us to breathe harder. It forces our heart to pump. And so when we're being enslaved, we're actually at a superior mental place. And so for us to, for us to not want to be in that place is obviously a mental illness right and so i'm laughing it's really not funny but it's so ridiculous that you kind of have to laugh but worse the worst thing is that idea that black people's um, lung capacity is lower comes from him gets there's they do this study in america where they take they study in, in the first world war they're studying lung capacity of the soldiers and they're comparing like middle class white soldiers to poor, really poor black soldiers and saying oh look you can see this lung capacity is different just like Samuel Cartwright said and then from the basis of that today in the UK as well not just here actually parts of Africa the tests for lung capacity taking like basically assume that we're going to have 20% less lung capacity today like in medicine today like that's the test you're using which just shows you there's a whole insanity around that but yeah so the idea that rascality not wanting to work was a diagnosis shows you just how common it was uh, the other thing he's famous for in the same paper is drapetomania. And this is a uh, basically a psychosis where we want to be free. So if black people ran away, it's because we had a mental illness. The, what, us wanting to be free showed that we had a mental illness, right? So again, running away showed people ran away. It was a common thing. But the justification for that was that we'd lost our mind. Obviously, we were much better, much happier in slavery. And I'm reading loads of these things for the, minute, uh, for the book I'm writing, The Psychosis of Whiteness. And... <laughs> there's all this after slavery ends, there's more complaints from black people of like uh, mental illness problems so in slavery there's very few complaints of mental illness after slavery there's quite a lot of complaints of mental illness and they actually use that to say that see look black people can't be free being free is actually bad for our mental health it's much better that we're uh, that we're enslaved it's, uh... So this is Kahindi Andrews, who spoke with us about Maroons. Yeah, and I guess what you take from that is that resistance in this way was so prevalent that they had to find a name for it. They had to make up two disorders to label our crazy, insane nature of wanting to be free. Yeah. So it just it's ridiculous and hilarious. And yeah. You cry, you laugh. Yeah, I mean, well, if you didn't laugh, you'd be sobbing constantly Weeping. all the time, just yeah. screaming into the sky. The fact that they had the cheek to call it rascality, as, <laughs> like, to use the word rascal, which I yes. believe to be our word. And also, um, okay, <laughs> just wait a minute, just one second. Yeah. I think that the levels of bullshit that it takes to make something the truth is not that much. Like it, I, This is so ridiculous that I feel like the minute it was said it would be poo-pooed. But actually... It, it, because it was believed once, we are now still living yep, in this still bullshit still today. Yeah, which, I, which is the bit that makes me terrified. 
Well, yeah, I mean, there's, a, as you say, a lot going on in there, just general medicalizing of, like, both blackness and humanity in general. Like, I get why this would work for them, because you have, you know, Mistress Karen, you know, good old slaver Karen at home, you know, dealing with this, and she needs to rationalize to herself that this is sickness, that she's not actually just oppressing another human being who is naturally fighting back. But if you've mm. already said that they're different in all of these ways, if you already understand black people as like not quite as evolved, like not the full Cro-Magnon man, but the one that's like hunched over one or two back, mm. then you do need a whole other sort of like mythos of their bodies, their minds, how it all works. You need some but, scientific evidence. Yeah, you don't well. get an inkling that they're actually just human beings, right? Everything is about running so fast and so far away from that very simple point, which is that we Yeah, are. this sort of Occam's razor of yeah. like, the simplest answer is they're fucking people. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and the reason this is also difficult because we shouldn't be brutal. We, we shouldn't them. be doing this, and we just want to get away with some stuff yeah. because it is so lucrative. Yeah. Like, that would be the simplest answer if everyone had just been like, we're psychopaths. <laughs> yeah. That, in some ways, would have just, like, made more sense. Just, I would, totally. We're insane, yeah. and we've decided to do this. It's yes, like, okay, exactly, cool. because we can, yeah. and ain't nobody stopping us because look at what we're doing. You'd be like... Well, I mean, touche, I guess. What are you going to do? Right. And uh, just as a side note to further explain what Kendi's talking about, spirometers are used currently globally to diagnose respiratory diseases and most commercially available spirometers correct for race. So race correction is built into the software of modern day spirometers. In the United States, spirometers apply correction factors of 10 to 15 percent for individuals labeled as black and four to six percent for people labeled as Asian. So if you're black, your breathing is assumed to be 15 percent worse than a white person's breathing would be. And I don't know, this to me just harkens back to like phrenology. It harkens back to the IQ test, like all these things that like, you know, IQ tests persist, but, you know, we forget about the fact that like we we use them to sterilize people, Mm. you know, (laughs) like we use them to be like, you're not intelligent enough to breed and we're trying to create a utopian society. We forget that we stole that from the Nazis. Like the Mm. Nazis were looking at Americans like, wow, you guys really ran with this shit. Like, okay, cool. (laughs) Like anytime you out Nazi a Nazi, like you need to look at your science and like those, those things are still around. Like, I mean, thank you Nazis we have a space program but still mostly fuck you mostly fuck you (laughs) for sure I'm glad we went to the moon but also like I could have gone without that you know and still had a bunch of like people alive today totally yeah All right, ready for the next one Desiree Uh, as ready as I'm ever gonna be bring it on we now have some more from Kehinde Andrews okay yeah so after the Haitian revolution the British are terrified of African born enslaved That's why the abolition of the Slave Trade Act happens in 1807, but they carry on enslaving people. And they they basically took the calculation that they had enough Africans already that they could breed future Africans and it wouldn't be be an issue anymore. But what you see, and it's a book by uh, Stella Dadzi called A Kick in the Belly, is after the trade gets abolished, the birth rate on British plantations just plummets. Like it just goes down for no reason that you could possibly explain. And it only comes back up after the abolition of slavery in 1834. And so what essentially happened is black women just said, nah, we're not, we're not having babies. Like, we're just going to like, do it. We're not going to breed the next of the enslaved. And then one of the reasons why when they say that slavery is unprofitable, 
by the 1830s, because there's not enough, there's actually, there's actually a lack of the enslaved because of this decline in birth rate. So it's actually one of the things that ends up ending slavery uh, in the British Empire. It's a womb, a womb strike, I guess, yeah. Where, and, and also, like, partly it's because of the way that the medicine and traditional healing stuff came in, they, they would have had the capacity to do things like that, whereas Britain would have never thought that. British people would never have thought black people were capable of even doing that. But we had all the knowledge and wisdom there. And there really is no other explanation for that. Massive drop-off in birth rate, and it just only picks up after freedom. I mean, that's so incredible, like knowing that women who decided to be in charge of their own reproductive health were part of like slowing down and making slavery unprofitable because wow. it's like you're not going to get more slaves out of us. I mean, how did they even have that information? It's kind of the thing that's like usually is usually burned and drowned out of witches is like knowing how to keep yourself from getting pregnant aside from like, come on my tits. Yeah. How do you... <laughs> You there know what I mean? One. Like, how do you know, like, how to, maybe it and was just did, that. And how but... did they all converse with each other to be like, let's do this. Yeah. Right now. Or just, yeah. Because we're done all at the same time. Because you would have thought there'd just be like one dude whose job it was to watch everybody make the baby like we see. Oh, yeah, of You course. know, in that first episode, right? But mm. I, maybe. I love that then it goes up again in freedom. Yeah. So that there's this whole, uh, all these births happening in a completely new place. Although after yeah. the abolition of slavery, it sounds like things were pretty horrific for another 50, 100 years. Yeah, yeah. So they're in the Caribbean and they are there saying we will no longer breed for these yeah. people to come yeah. and take our babies. Or There's no more new yeah. new blood. So they're like, okay, make more babies. And they're like, right on top of that. Thump. And I'm so, <laughs> I'm, yeah, and I'm surprised that they sort of, they weren't, thing is they can't just kill them all for not having kids. Yeah. Because then you need them. Yeah. So I mean, it's actually, not quite the Handmaid's Tale yet. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all, it's quite ingenious because it's like you can't, I mean, I suppose at that, there was a time when they were getting them to breed, but at this point, yeah. people were saying no. And I suppose after a point, you can't just force people to breed well, in yeah. the thousands. And you can't kill them because there's no more yeah. coming. Right. And so all you can do is hope that, like, maybe, I don't know, what's that music they like? Let's. <laughs> Someone for some fun just con. Really trying. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. But that must have been a really interesting turn of atmosphere. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That sort of really slow build of. The like power structure changing. And how does everyone sort of like sniff out at once that the tide is turning? Mm. You know, it's kind of that like collective like, wait, wait a second. They So they can't make us, like no more right. coming? Oh, oh, oh. Like when right. everyone realizes at once and decides yeah. to like implement that. I guess to pan out, it's like if it had just been left down to white people, like it would have never happened. It would have had to have been all of the massive revolts and uprisings, as well as the small ones, mm. you know, to make this an untenable situation everywhere it was. Like it would have required everyone involved to just be, you know, like throwing spanners all throughout yeah. the works for it to have stopped. This story is powerful. This story is bloody brilliant, actually. Women's reproductive choices having a direct effect on the future yeah. of slavery. Wow. So what do you take from hearing these clips today, Desiree? I am just so unlike other times when we finish this and I feel like so broken down, mm -hmm. even though it's incredible. This is something that seems so just sort of joyous, like it just sort of pans out and it's just like a bedlam of people popping off all over the sort of diaspora in various different ways and all of these like ingenious, tiny and massive and collective ways at the same time. And it does for me paint a new picture of the landscape of 
of what enslavement was like, that yes, it was abject horror, but it was also in many instances, just like the pinnacle of humanity, like Mm. all of the stuff that is brilliant and courageous and long suffering about humans was displayed in this era, as well as what was the most horrific Mm. about human beings. And there's just something that it feels like the picture is a lot more complete. Absolutely. I, I think probably for me before we start this, I did think that there was just this one big year where things yeah. really changed. <laughs> totally. You know? The big year. Yeah. And it's like it's so many different stories. And and you know what? It takes so many different minds to yeah. make the abolition of slavery happen. It's all these different minds working together without even conversing with each other, but just all over the world, just going, no, no, nah, enough. And too many different ways for any, you know, nothing ever happens for one reason. No. We always like to boil it down like, this is the reason why, and nothing in real life ever happens for one reason. And it's nice to get the whole story. Yeah. If you haven't watched the Barry Jenkins series, it is poignant, it's powerful, and it's on Amazon Prime Video now. Don't forget to follow or subscribe to the podcast. We'll be back next week with a story of a truly romantic escape. Romance? Finally. No. I mean, I don't expect it to be like an 80s rom-com, but still, I'm very excited to hear this story. I cannot wait. See you next week. See you next week. <laughs> 